0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We're currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Uh, if you would like to support uh, the rebuilding of this house, there's uh, God's been really good in providing a bunch of beds. There was a team that went down and, and they bought a bunch of beds to, to put in there. Um, there's still furnishing and, and houseware goods. When we lost the homes, we lost everything um everything was taken that we had kind of acquired over the last 5 years so we need to completely restock this house and um, you guys can be a part of that by by giving a one-time donation to the House of Refuge if you're going to give by check it needs to be made out to ATP Ministries uh and in the memo line put House of Refuge if you're going to give cash just put it in the envelope we're taking offering at the end like we normally do so just hold on to it and you can just put it in with the other offering and we'll be able to sort through it um, the, there's also the table in the back. If you'd like to uh, be on the newsletter and kind of hear what's going on, uh, you can sign up for that. And that goes out uh, generally once a month, sometimes every other month, depending upon what's going on. Uh, it is a privilege. And uh, it's something that that I have. Um, I'm actually, I'm part of ATP Ministries. Uh, I kind of oversee the Cambodian outreach. So we brought Holly in 100%. Of your donation goes straight to the house there's no processing fee so this is it's just a really good way to support um, not only the gospel going out but also people being freed from bondage so um, no pressure on that you know mean, like i say uh, only if the lord leads and uh, yeah talk to holly Moore in the back and please sign up for her newsletter uh, let's go ahead and do the scripture reading uh, we're in john 12 And we're going to start in verse one. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus, uh, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is the word of God. Thank you so much. Um,
1: I, keep, I keep thinking about how um, blessed we are to have Holly and to know Holly. I've known Holly for um, 10 years, and so there was a time when I feared her. Um, but don't anymore, which is cool. Um, but she isn't just somebody like that called us or we found her online or something like, this is family. And so we want to be 100% behind what she's doing, and we're just excited. We'd like to do some more, maybe some Skyping in a month or two with her. We'll have her here on Sunday morning, you know, so we can hear what's going on. But, man, to have something that frees people from that kind of slavery and is such a discipleship and fruitful gospel ministry, it's like, are you kidding me? And we know her for, like, ever? Well, you guys have really known her forever. (laughs) Um, Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we just thank you so much for your word, and I am so thankful for this passage we're going to look at. And we just pray, Lord, that you would make us true worshipers. There's a a true worshiper, there's a few true worshipers in this passage, and there's a false worshiper, and we do not want to be like him. Lord, make us like the sacrifice of Mary. Make us true worshipers of you, both here as we gather and out there as we're sent out. And we pray, Lord, that you would do this. Only you can do this. We pray that you would do it in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are in uh, John 12. We're just six days from the cross and two miles from it, okay? So he's in Bethany. It's just two miles from Jerusalem. We're just six days away from the cross because we're six days away from Passover. And you might be wondering, like, how did we get here so fast, okay? We started John in September, and part of the reason is, if you look at the Gospel of John, half of the Gospel of John is either about the cross or the week leading up to the cross. Isn't that wild? If you wrote a biography of somebody, would you you make half of your biography about their last week of their life? You probably wouldn't. What does that say about the importance of what we're about to come into? It says a lot. Um, And so here we are. um, Jesus has just entered. um, Right before he goes into Jerusalem, he's gonna stop in Bethany, spend some time with some friends of his, close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Remember last week, Lazarus got raised from the dead after being dead for for four days. And what they want to do is they want to throw a dinner party for him. It says they they gave a dinner. They're not just having dinner, they gave a dinner. They gave a a, a banquet for Jesus in his honor. And at that is when Mary took this very costly ointment, this perfume, puts it on Jesus' feet, and rubs Jesus' feet with her hair. And this, guys, gives us an awesome opportunity to look at what is true worship. We know this is true worship because Jesus defends it. You know, Jesus attacks it, Jesus defends it. And it's a great opportunity for us as a new congregation to just think about worship. I mean, this is what we come together to do, is to worship him. And I want to give you guys just a real brief definition of worship that um, I kind of made by altering another one. And here's what the definition is, and see how it resonates with you. True worship happens when God's people see and savor the glory of God in Christ, and serve him by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity in there? So um, it's when we see Jesus and we really know him, we recognize him, we understand who he is. That's why on Sunday mornings we're, we're constantly teaching about Jesus because we need to rightly see him. We don't come that way, already seeing him rightly. And then we need to savor him, right? So it's more the emotional part, it's to enjoy and rejoice in him. And then that propels us to serve him. Okay, so we don't just like, religion's all about like, okay, you know, most religions about just serve God, serve God, serve God. Christianity is about seeing and savoring Jesus so that you want to. It involves your mind, it involves apprehending who he is, it involves your emotions as they get stirred, and it involves your, your service to him, right? So it's a whole person thing here. Guys, as we see the glory of Jesus and rejoice in him, hopefully this morning, worshiping him will be the most natural thing in the world. C.S. Lewis talked about how everybody worships. I love this. He He said, "'The world rings with praise. Lovers praise their mistresses. Readers praise their favorite poets. Walkers praise the countryside. Players praise their favorite games. There's praise of weather and wines and dishes and actors and motors and horses and colleges and countries and historical personages. There's praise of children and flowers and mountains and rare stamps and rare beetles.'" And even sometimes politicians, not right now, or (laughs) scholars, okay? And he says this, he goes, praise is almost like inner health made audible. We were meant to praise. We were meant to worship. We were meant to worship God. And before we get into Mary's specific worship here, that's mostly what we're going to talk about. I want to just draw your attention to the fact that there's three people worshiping here. Okay, there's three people named worshiping here. Look at verse two. It says, so they gave a dinner for him, for Jesus. Martha served. Lazarus was the one reclined with him at the table. And Mary, therefore, took this pound of expensive ointment, anoints Jesus' feet, and wipes it with her hair. Um, First, got to see that Martha's worshiping. Martha's worshiping. It says that she served. She gave the dinner. She's a person that's providing the the meal. She's taking care of the guests. And it is true that Martha in the past has served in a way that is not worshipful. But we ought not to think she's always doing that, right? I mean, we kind of are mean to some of the people in the Bible, like Thomas, doubting Thomas. He doubts one time, you know? Like, (laughs) we'll get to it. Like, let's not just label him, you know? Martha here is really worshiping. She's worshiping by a meal. She's worshiping by caring for guests. And I want to tell you guys, that gift of hospitality is something that we need. As a a new congregation, as a a young church, we need people that are going to be hospitable, both here and in your home. Some of you guys are great. You know, we went up to the Vanderbergs one time, and it was like, it's amazing. The whole family's involved, you know, they feed you a great meal. They play games with you. I mean, it's just incredible. You guys went, you know. Um, In fact, not only that, but um, they collect sea glass, And before we left, Ellie, our little seven-year-old, got to pick out a piece of sea glass. And then Jim, like, made a necklace out of it with some wire and stuff. Yeah, we had custom jewelry. So this was crazy. So we need you guys. We need you guys to build community and do that kind of thing. Um, You could sign up for that. Um, What about Lazarus? You guys look at Lazarus, he's here, reclined at the table, you know, you're thinking, like, this dude, maybe Martha's worshiping, but Lazarus, that dude's just lazy, you know, he's just laying around. Okay, well, let's cut Lazarus some slack, because you do realize, like, Lazarus was dead for four days, okay? <laughs> and that could take a lot out of you, okay? I was just thinking about this week, how um, Captain Scott Kelly, you know, he was up in space for a year, and he came back, and I'm just looking at that guy, and he's smiling and stuff, and I'm like, that dude probably feels horrible, you know, he's experiencing gravity for the first time in a year probably wants to die. probably feels horrible. And I was just thinking about, what about Lazarus' reentry? You know? That's a rough reentry. He was in heaven for four days, just to come back. <laughs> and guys, Lazarus is doing a very important role of worship, too. You guys realize that word had spread about Lazarus. And people are coming from all over. They gave a dinner. There's probably lots of guests that have come, not just to see Jesus, it says in verse 9, but to see Lazarus, who was there and had been raised from the dead. And so Lazarus is here to host the dinner, to give his testimony about what Jesus had done for him. This is an important work of worship. And you can imagine him saying, yeah, you know, I die. And the next thing I know, I'm in heaven, the very presence of God. And then I heard a voice saying, don't get too comfortable. You know, you're leaving in a few days. And then a few days later, and boom, I'm back here. I'm wrapped up like a mummy. I'm hearing Jesus call me out. You know, it's a bummer. (laughs) You know, but look at what God has done. You know, we need Lazarus's too. We need people that are gonna greet people here. They're gonna speak of what God's doing in their lives. Lazarus is important. You can just imagine them just watching Lazarus eat. You know, Look at him, he's really alive. And, um, and Lazarus's role was so important that in verse 10 and 11, it says that the chief priests and the religious leaders, they wanted to kill Lazarus. Isn't that crazy how crazy unbelief is? They know he's been raised from the dead and they wanna destroy the evidence. And, but I just love this scene, guys. Think of this scene of this little family you know, two sisters and a brother putting on a feast, worshiping together, serving together to put on this feast of true worship for Jesus and anyone that wanted to come and see him. And you know what it made me think of? It made me think of us. You know, this is us every week, right? As a church family, we gather together and our intent is to worship with all the different ways that we do worship and to put on a feast for Jesus, right? To put on a feast so that people can come here and know Christ. Isn't it cool to think of it that way? That's what it is. We're this family that wants to put on a weekly um, feast for Jesus. And we have different ways that we serve. You know, you think about, when we think about worship, we automatically think of, like, the worship team, which is vital because the worship team helps us to worship skillfully. You know, if we just gather together and try to pull something off, it would probably be terrible. But we want to worship skillfully. And what does it do? It tunes our hearts so that throughout the week, we can worship Jesus in all different ways as we go. This is an important time. Um, We have a preaching that focuses on Jesus. But we also have, like, somebody picks up that trailer, right? They go and pick up that trailer early in the morning. Usually Casey gets the trailer or chat. they will get the trailer or bring it over here so we have all our stuff. You think about, like, tech and slides and and sound back there. Um, We know the importance of sound because a couple weeks ago we didn't have any, you know? And we were like, and David was like, oh, it was awesome. I got so many people saying that we should do that all the time. And I'm like, no, you didn't, you know? Um, we need the sound. Um, and so, and then there's, you know, tech and slides. And it's funny with those guys back there. like nobody notices them until something goes wrong. And then it's like a sea of eyes going back there, right? And they're like, we know we're working on it. Why don't you guys look back there right now? Where's Wes? Oh, he left. See, I told him I was going to put him on display. If you look back there right there, that's where they're at. You know, if something goes wrong, look back there. And what about greeting? You know, we have people that are greeting, and this is hugely valuable. And we wish as many of you come early could do this. Is, is people come in there that they're greeted warmly, that they're hugged, that they're talked to? It's important. It's kind of a Lazarus type role. Um, we want to welcome others. Um, we're thinking about Easter's coming, right? Talk about putting on a feast for Jesus to honor him. That's a time when we do it um, big. Um, hospitality, you know, we got a table out there, you know, with donuts and coffee and stuff like that. Some of you people are really angry when you come until you have some coffee. And so the coffee's important, right? We got to give you the coffee, then you're v- like very much a Christian at that point, which is great. So hospitality is important. Um, children's, you know, as we disciple the next generation of worshipers, you could be a part of that as you're involved in children's. And it's a great help, too. We have guests that are coming. Maybe they don't know Christ. They want to know more about Christ. And to have their kids taken care of during this time and be able to focus, huge gift. And so every week, guys, we gather as a family to bring all of our own worship contributions. We're all volunteers. I don't know if you guys realize that, but everybody in this room is a volunteer, including myself, to put on a feast in Jesus' honor. And it's just a cool, pure, awesome thing. I just love it that um, we get to enjoy Jesus. He gets to enjoy being with us. We get to invite people into that. is an awesome thing. Let us know if you want to get involved. I mean, we're kind of gearing up for Easter. We want to get people involved. Some of you are very involved. Um, but let's look at what Mary can teach us about worship here. First things in verse 3. Worship is sacrificial. Take a look at it. It says that um, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped her feet his feet with her hair It's so cool Mary is just sitting there listening to Jesus soaking up all that he is and she is moved to give her most valuable possession and just pour it over Jesus' feet this stuff this spikenard perfume it was from northern India and these people are near Jerusalem this is from northern India it was about 11 and ounces it's a litre which is about 11 a half so about the size of a soda can of this perfume. And it's super expensive. In fact, Judas knows how much it's worth. Surprising, huh? He's always appraising everything. And so he knows that it's worth 300 denarii, right? Which is a year's wages for a laborer. So in our culture, maybe $25,000. Okay? Get this little can, you know, this little jar of perfume worth $25,000. This is the most expensive thing she owns. I don't see what else she could have worth more than that. And as she gives it in worship, she lets it evaporate in one night of worship to Jesus. $25,000 to worship Jesus, just briefly, boom, gone. It's expended. And then she wipes his feet with her hair. And in that culture, a woman's hair was her glory. And so she's got her most treasured possessions, this ointment and her hair, and she's, and she's wiping Jesus's feet. Guys, true worship happens when nothing we have is off limits to Jesus and no obedience to him is too much. That's when true worship happens. True worship happens when nothing is off limits to him that we have and no obedience is too much. It's when we say in our hearts, Jesus, I will give you anything I have and I will do anything you ask. And we mean it, hands open, up to him. Are you guys there? Just thinking about it, are we there? I've been praying this week that the Holy Spirit would get us there. I think that's a doable thing for God to do in our hearts today. I really do. I think we could leave here with that heart. I mean, I believe the Holy Spirit can do that. I don't believe I can do that. I believe the Holy Spirit can do that. I've been praying for that. True worship is sacrificial. Secondly, true worship is unashamed. We see that here in this text too. When Mary, she anoints his feet with this expensive ointment and then she's wiping his um, feet with her hair. As I was looking at artist depictions of this, I always like to do this. And I look at it for artist depictions of all these scenes. And I'll tell you, as I'm looking through those scenes, they're scandalous looking. I mean, none of them look like, oh, yeah, that's normal, right? Even in our culture, what she's doing would be scandalous. In her culture, this is very scandalous. No decent moral woman lets her hair down in that society. I mean, a lot of times we think of that as an Islamic thing. No, it's a Near Eastern thing. No woman lets her hair down like this in public. Not a decent moral woman. And this, by the way, is actually a mark of authenticity of this passage. John would never have recorded this unless it happened. It's too counterproductive. It raises way too many eyebrows. I mean, think about it. You've got a single man, religious leader, and a single woman there. There's perfume. She's on the ground at his feet with perfume, caressing his feet with her hair. People are going to talk, right? People are going to talk. They're going to say, it's indecent. It's not done. This is something that's not right. But Mary doesn't care, (laughs) you notice that? Mary doesn't care, she is so overwhelmed with the worth of Jesus, she didn't even notice their eyebrows, okay? She doesn't notice their concerns. She's unashamed. Guys, when we give ourselves to God and worship in our culture, we're gonna look strange. It's gonna look out of proportion. It's gonna look excessive. There was a a girl who was um, coming to our church years ago and uh, she wasn't a believer yet. Her her boyfriend was kind of a big hindrance because he was not at all interested in Jesus. And um, he was, she was talking to him about, you know, I'm thinking about you know, being a Christian. He goes, you can do that, but don't get all extreme like those other people. You know what she said? Even as unbelievers, she goes, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> she goes, if he is who he said he is, you can't get too extreme about him. I mean, this is her as a non-Christian saying this. Guys, it's going to look out of proportion. It's going to look excessive. And guys, wouldn't you agree with me that there is a real, very real temptation for us to be ashamed? There is a very real temptation in our culture to keep our devotion to Jesus private. Isn't it? Even here people say, well, my faith is private. No, it's not. No, it's not. Our worship to Jesus is personal, but it's never private. Never meant to be private. It's public. Guys, we're a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. Right? So our worship to Jesus is personal, but never private. So let me ask you this, just kind of get in your business. Do people know you worship Jesus? It's very common for Christians to, to come to church regularly, to read the Word regularly, to give regularly, and stuff like that, but all the people around them have no idea they're a Christian. I had a situation um, several years ago. Um, I was talking to a client, and you know, I finally kind of talked to him about my, you know, that I follow Jesus and I'm a Christian. You know what they said to me? Oh, we thought you were a Mormon. <laughs> because I'd been on missions trips and stuff like that, and I guess I looked like a clean act, they thought he's a Mormon, you know? So here I am kind of giving credibility to the wrong team, right? (laughs) We need to be open that we follow Jesus. We need to be open that we're Christians, guys. And when you do that, you're not claiming to be perfect. You're claiming to be a disciple. You're claiming to be a student of Jesus. And because you've picked to be a student of Jesus, you have a lot to learn, right? We have picked Jesus as our teacher. We have picked Jesus as our master. And so therefore, of course, we fall short. We have a lot to learn. That's what you're claiming to be. But living openly before Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus before your friends and your co-workers and your clients, that's the first step, guys. And you know what? Opportunities will follow. People will ask you to pray for them. People will ask you where to go to church. People will ask you all those kinds of things when they have hardships and things like that. But you've got to let them know that you follow Jesus. So true worship is unashamed. Thirdly, true worship is expansive. I like this one, okay? I like this one a lot. Look at verse three. It says at the end that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Guys, anyone who entered that house knew about, Jesus, knew about the worship of Jesus. Anyone that entered that house knew that Mary was worshiping because of the perfume. It pervaded, it expanded. True worship, guys, is like that perfume. It's expansive, it spreads, it diffuses, it permeates. It's got this missional character. It sends us out. Our worship doesn't just stay between us and the Lord, it affects others. As we're seeing and savoring and serving Jesus openly, it blesses others. Guys, our worship is meant to permeate. It's meant to be expansive. Psalm 96.3 says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. Okay? Our worship is outward focused like that, too, as well as being inward. 1 Peter 2.9 says of us that we are a, royal, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And then it says that, that you may proclaim his excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Guys, true worship sends us out on mission. And I love what John Piper says about this. I know, it's lots of John Piper. Um, I love what John Piper uh, says about this because he says that worship is both the goal and the fuel of mission. Okay, so worship is both the goal, it's something we want to have accomplished, and it's the fuel. What do we mean by goal? It's the reason. Guys, mission happens because worship isn't happening out there, guys. Jesus, we know that Jesus is not being seen and savored and served as he should, and that propels us on mission. When you see, you know, Paul saw, you know, a city full of idols. He saw a place where where nobody was worshiping Jesus. Do you guys realize that there are over 6,500 unreached people groups still? Okay, this is an age of, you know, planes and internet and all that thing. There's 6,500 unreached people groups still. An unreached people group is a group in which there is no indigenous church that can reach that area. So there might be a few Christians, but there's not that, that mass that's big enough to, to spread mission throughout that area. 6,500 people groups that are unreached still. Many of them are in Cambodia. I think I heard this morning, Chad, I think, said that 74% of the people groups in Cambodia are unreached. Isn't that wild? This shouldn't be, right? Isn't that kind of fuel mission to you? Like, Jesus should be worshipped. Let me, let me mention this, too. Well, think about locally. There's 83,000 people in Menifee, roughly, and it's growing every day, and almost none of them go to church. You guys realize that? You guys are like, what? Think about it. Okay, 83,000 people, I don't have the hard math on this, okay? I'll just say up front. 83,000 people, think about all the churches that exist in this city, and then add up the likely weekly attendance, and how much do you get? I bet it's not 10%, okay? Do you think there's 8,300 people in church in Menifee this morning? 90% of them, guys, 90% of them, that's the mission field. And the difference, though, between in Cambodia and here is that they have people to share the gospel with them, you, right, you. So the goal of missions is to see more and more people worship Jesus, but worship's also the fuel. Remember, it's as we see and savor Jesus that we serve him, and so... True worship sends us out. It sends us out to our neighbors and our colleges and our workplaces and even to places like Cambodia. I mean, worship sends us out. And that'll help us with this verse 8. Very shocking thing Jesus says in verse 8. Maybe you guys were like, whoa. Verse 8, Jesus says, the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. That could be shocking, right? That's shocking if he's not God in the flesh, for sure. But he is God in the flesh, and it would also be shocking if we really took Jesus to say that the poor are unimportant. If you know Jesus, if you read what Jesus has said, you know that Jesus cares about the poor more than any of us, right? What's he saying here? He's showing the priority. He's showing that worship comes before service, even service to the poor. The first thing's worship. First thing is worshiping God. First, it's the seeing of Jesus and the savoring of him, then the serving, and let me ask some of you guys, I know some of you guys here, you serve a lot, and there's a real tendency to get burnt out. You guys ever been in that place? Maybe you're there now. Maybe you've been there serving, serving people in the church, and you burn out, maybe serving at home, things like that. And, um, and, and maybe you're tired of service. Perhaps the problem is, is that you need to start practicing a Sabbath, because I think that's one thing we don't do well. You know, we're constantly doing things, and we need to practice a Sabbath, But maybe you need to back up and focus on the seeing and savoring part, right? Because it's the seeing and the savoring of Jesus that propels us for mission. It propels us to serve. Worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. And you know what's fun about this whole aroma idea that worship is, it's expansive, it permeates, it spreads, is that Paul actually talked about us that way too. He said that like Mary's worship had an aroma, that we have an aroma. So in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says that we spread, quote, the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, we're a fragrance of death to death. To another, we're a fragrance from life to life. Guys, we are an aroma of Jesus as we spread it. Our our worship expands. It's smelled, it's known. And some people like what they smell, right? Right? And some people don't, which brings us to our fourth point. True worship will be opposed. Take a look at at the end of verse three. Check this out. Check out the bummer that's about to occur here. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And you're like, ah. And then what's next? But Judas, right? But Judas. Judas has this attack on our worship, right? True worship will be opposed. And I love the, the way that John records this scene because he's putting Judas as a clear contrast to Mary. Mary's a true worshiper. Judas is the false worshiper. And I also love the fact that John is highlighting a woman's example of worship over a male disciple's example. Isn't that cool? I love that he does this because the culture that Mary lived in was a culture that had a very low view of women, And yet John sees fit to put forward a woman's example to follow. Where did he get that impulse? He got that impulse from Jesus. You see, Jesus has many female disciples throughout the Gospels. And he is consistently elevating them, honoring them, putting them forward as examples. But Judas, guys, Judas cannot stand Mary's worship. It grates on him. She's worshiping sacrificially, unashamed, expansively, and he can't stand it. So he gives this kind of lame, you know, fake critique in verse 5. He goes, well, you know, why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 denarii? We could give it to the poor, right? But John tells us what's really going on, right? Verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Guys, Judas despises Mary's worship Because Judas worships another God, right? He worships another God. He worships money. And I was just thinking about Judas, and just, we'll get more into Judas a little bit later, but, like, what is he even gonna spend this money on? You know what I mean? Think about it. He travels around with Jesus. He's constantly stealing. What's he doing with it? What's the point? Why in the world would Judas choose money over Jesus? You know? And, And it just gets to the fact, guys, that sin... All sin is a worship disorder. You realize that? All sin, the sins that we all wrestle with, the temptations we have, sin is a worship disorder. It's all about what you worship. And we all worship something. We either worship God or we worship something else. And we'll trade anything and anyone for our true item of worship. Right? For our gods, the thing we worship, we will trade anything and anyone. I mean, look at the contrast between these two. Mary just gave $25,000 to worship Jesus for one night. It evaporates. There's nothing left of it. Nothing to show for it, right? It's gone. Judas is about to sell Jesus for $1,000. See the difference? You know, Mary is willing to give $25,000 just for a moment of worship of Jesus, and Judas will sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which is about 1,000 bucks. It's all about what you worship. What do you worship? What are you tempted to worship now? What are you tempted to worship on Monday and Tuesday? We're all tempted to worship other things. Our hearts, like Calvin said, are an idol factory. Judas worships money, and it's suicidal, literally. Judas will be dead in five days from his worship. True worship guys will be opposed, but I love how Jesus defends her. He says, leave her alone. He's like, Judas, shut it. You know nothing about worship. You know, he's coming off as the expert. Oh, I've been learning from Jesus, and this is what we do. And he's like, shut it, right? You don't know anything about worship. And then he says, she has kept it for the day of my burial. Last point, true worship is a response to the cross. I love this. In verse seven, he says, leave her alone, Judas, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Somehow, guys, Mary sent something that the rest of them were clueless about. And I don't know if she would know it in words, but she had a sense that my Lord is gonna die. And and my Lord's gonna die for me. And she's overwhelmed with love for him. And guys, this just reminds us that true worship is a response to Jesus' death for us. We will offer our whole selves everything we have, all of our obedience to Jesus when we see how Jesus has offered himself to the Father for us, right? We will offer our whole selves in worship as we see Jesus offering his whole self to the Father for us. Guys, remember how, it's true worship, I said it's sacrificial, it's unashamed, it's expansive or fragrant. Jesus is the ultimate example of all three of these. Check this out. Jesus' offering was sacrificial. Nobody would deny that, right? Jesus held nothing back from the Father. Look at verse, um, if you can look at chapter 10, verse 18, John 10, 18, Jesus says this about his sacrificial offering. I love how he says this. Jesus says this, no one takes my life from me. Don't you love that? Because we're about to move into the time when he's sold and he's crucified and all that, and you might think they're taking his life from him. And Jesus said, don't make that mistake. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Guys, Jesus knew there was no other way to save sinners like us No animal sacrifice, no offering, no financial gift, nothing like that would do. Jesus knew that it would have to be his body in our place on the cross or we're doomed. And I think about you guys this morning, either you're trusting in Jesus or you're doomed. And Jesus knew as he was moving towards the cross that it had to be his body in our place on the cross or we'd be doomed. And he offered himself. He goes, no one takes my life from me. It might look like that, but I'm doing it intentionally. He's walking straight into danger, right? He knows where he's going. He knows where he's headed. So his his offering was sacrificial. Jesus' offering was unashamed. Guys, Jesus did feel the shame of the cross, but he went anyway. Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Listen to this. Despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross, guys, was incredibly shameful. We'll talk about that more on Good Friday, but the cross was an incredibly shameful way to die. It was reserved for the worst of worst, the worst crimes, the worst kinds of people. person that was crucified, nailed through the, through the wrists, hanging there, nailed through both feet, would hang there naked all day, and the people that walked by assumed that that person was just trash. They spit upon him and mock him. And guys, this is why groups like Muslims don't believe, they reject to this day that Jesus would die on a cross. You know why? Because their God doesn't humble himself like that. Guys, our God does. He he put himself in that place of shame for us. Thirdly, his offering was fragrant and expansive. Ephesians talks about this. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, And it's it's an expansive sacrifice to God. I mean, Mary's, this is so cool. Mary's worship filled that whole house with perfume, right? Anybody that came in could smell it. Whole house is just packed full of fragrance. Guys, Jesus' offering fills the whole world with worshipers from every nation. That's what his sacrifice is. It's expansive. It's not for one nationality. It's not for one race. It's expansive. It says in Revelation 7, at the end of time, at the end of this world at least, after I looked, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and all people and languages, and you can be a part of the journey of some Cambodians there, right? We're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Like the end of this world and the beginning of the next one looks like people from every tribe and nation because Jesus' sacrifice is expansive. It's fragrant, it spreads, it permeates, it goes everywhere. And so um, in closing, guys, as we lay ourselves down, like worship is about laying ourselves down, right? It's about laying down our money, our reputation, our time, our families, our friends, our health, even ourselves, okay? Not about the fog machine, Right? We don't have one. Isn't that sad? No, it's not sad. <laughs> worship is about laying down our money and our reputation and our time and our families and our friends and our health and our, even ourselves in worship. And when we do that, when we lay that down before God, you know where we're laying it? We're laying that down at the feet of Jesus. Crucified feet. Right? That's what Mary's thinking about. She's thinking about his death. We lay our worship down before crucified feet. You guys realize that when Jesus was on the cross bearing our sin, every time he needed to take a breath, he had to push up on those nails through his ankles every single time. Those feet that held the weight of our sin on the cross until all of our guilt was paid for and all of our sin was extinguished, it's gone, you know? And let me ask you this, guys. If those feet were present here today, wouldn't you worship them just like Jesus did? I mean, just like Mary did? If those crucified feet were here today, you would worship him just like Mary did. Let me ask you this. Is there anything that's too much to pour over those feet? Is there any way that we could be ashamed to openly worship at those feet? Is there anywhere he could call us to go that we would refuse? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for this picture of worship, and we know this is health, We know that for us to just hand over our whole lives, our whole selves, is healthy. It's right. It's what we're made to do. And Father, as we are gathered here before the pierced feet of your now risen son, we pray that you would help us to worship him, that we would worship you with all that we have, with all that we are. Father, we pray that we would um, like your son, have a great burden for the nations, for places like Cambodia and for, and for um, people that are enslaved and in bondage and, and being subject to all kinds of injustice like these people we heard about this morning. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that you've commanded us. Lord, don't let our worship in here. Make our worship expansive. Help us to see and savor the one who gave all for us. And we're going to go enjoy. We're going to be like that guy that found a treasure hidden in a field and with joy sold everything that he had to have that field. It's a bargain. It's a bargain to give you anything, Lord. Send us out with those hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at slash Menifee.